Hello everybody and thank you for tuning in once more to In Conversation with Lisa Burke. It's my great honour today to speak to Dr. Zuldin Abulaish, who was born in Gaza, dedicated his life and continues to dedicate his life to using health as a vehicle for peace, nominated five times for the Nobel Peace Prize, lauded by many leaders across the world, Belgium, the President of the European Parliament, President Barack Obama, the Colombian President, and you were also the first Palestinian doctor to work in an Israeli hospital. There are so many things I could say to you about your life so far, but firstly, I just want to say welcome to Luxembourg. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure and honour. Firstly, I want to talk about your childhood. You're sitting here today in Luxembourg, having travelled around the world. You grew up in Gaza in a refugee camp in the Gaza Strip. How did you manage to make it from there to university to study medicine in Cairo, Obzengaini at the University of London, a residency in Israel, a sub-speciality in medicine in Italy and Belgium, and finally a master's in Harvard? Nothing is impossible in life. We need to have confidence and to believe in ourselves. And that's the experience and the message I took from my life as a Palestinian refugee who was born, raised in refugee camps. And when we say a refugee, we need to understand the meaning of being a refugee. And we see the world these days is endemic with refugees and in Europe in particular. I don't want anyone to be a refugee. Refugee, it means you are deprived of your dignity and your humanity. You become naked in this world. When I think about the refugees who are coming to Europe, it sometimes means they're also deprived of their country. Of course, they, as a result of suffering, they don't have opportunities for a better life. But for me as a refugee, I wasn't born with it. It was man-made. One day we have a home, we have a country, we have a place, and in a sudden to find ourselves without our country, without our land, without our homes. So what can I do to unmade it and not to accept it? To challenge the suffering as a child who was deprived of everything, living the day, don't know what will happen tomorrow, and the life in the camp with all kinds of suffering. So the only way was education. And thanks to my parents, who were simple refugees, they were farmers in their home village in Palestine, they realized the only thing to get rid of the misery of life, the abject poverty and deprivation is education. So I have to work day and night to go to school in the afternoon to go to work, any kind of work, just to survive, to help my family. At the age of seven, I wasn't seven, I was 20. I have to challenge it and not to be broken, to be defeated. I was lucky to succeed in my school. And thanks to the teachers who supported me, they believed in me. Zildin, you can be something. And also because I am the eldest in my family, I have to take responsibility. I want to get them of the misery of life. I want to provide them with a good house. My parents of their suffering. So I succeeded. And when I applied to the university in Egypt for a scholarship, I said, just take me 
to study at the university, to get a scholarship, because I am sure my parents can't afford it. So I worked very hard and got high grades to be accepted and to get a scholarship to study medicine in Cairo. I graduated. I was proud of it, in particular for my mother, to be the mother of the doctor. Because women are the survival story of any nation. Women are the ones who are sacrificing and giving. I succeeded. I came back with the hope that I am a medical doctor. But during that time, in order to get a job in Gaza Strip during the Israeli occupation, which is still there, I have to be one of the three things, the son or daughter of a wealthy man, a businessman, a senior official, or a collaborator with the occupation. I don't have anything of that. I have my successes. But that makes you stand aside and independent. Yeah, and that's what I believed. I believe in every bad thing there is something good. As you were growing up in the Gaza Strip, how did you avoid the hate? How did you avoid not falling into hating the occupation? I hate the occupation. I don't accept the occupation. The occupation is an action. There is a difference between hating an object and a human. I hate the action, but not the actor. I hate and also to take responsibility. What can I do to get rid of this occupation in a rational way with the means I can get rid of it? That's what I believe in. That's why when I practice medicine in Israel, I went to practice. I worked in Israel as a child. I worked in many things. In any kind of work in Israel, I worked in farms, in factories. But now I am going there as a medical doctor because I want the Israeli people there to see the Palestinian. He's a human as they are. I ask you, what is the difference between me and you now? What is the difference between Izzeldin and anyone from Luxembourg or from Belgium or from any place? And I ask the people here from the Palestinians, see the Palestinians, they are human beings with talent, with hopes, with the plans, with the dreams. And they can offer the humanity. They can do good things and they succeeded and they can succeed. So I went to work because I believed in the message and the mission of medicine and health. Because inside the hospital, when we treat patients, we treat all of them equally. So why not to live outside the hospital equally? And medicine and health is a human equalizer, stabilizer, socializer, and harmonizer. We use it. I believe in medicine. And health is in all policies. Health is not about disease or infirmity. Health is about a way of life. And health and peace are mutually interconnected and interdependent. The one who is not healthy is not in peace. The one who is not in peace is not healthy. So we need to use them. And we need our people, Palestinians, Israelis, from Luxembourg, or from Belgium, or from the States, to be healthy, free, and peaceful, and to run a normal way of life. That's why I believed in it and I practiced it and I am proud of it. But life is full of surprises, full of challenges. And you see these days, just a small virus, invisible virus. What did Corona do in this world? It paralyzed our world. So we need to collaborate. We need to work together and to come together to make the world a better one. 
for us and the future generations. It's our responsibility, and no one on earth has been tested as Palestinians. The most difficult time for me was in four months period. Even number 16 is printed, is engraved in my mind. 16th of September 2008 is the day when my wife passed away of acute leukemia. I felt it's the end of the world. When your wife had cancer, do you feel she could have got better treatment somewhere else? Of course, I transferred her to the hospital where I worked in Israel. And they did their best to save her life. In two weeks, she passed away. 43. It's the end of the world. And just to add, that left you with eight With children. eight children. Ages, their ages at the time? At that time, 21, 19, 17, 14, 10. And of course, Mayar and Aya, who were 16 and 13. And the youngest was six. I believe the orphan is not the one who loses the father. The orphan is the one who loses the mother. The mother is the big heart. The mother is the incubator. And my weak point in my life is my mother. I don't think she's been your weak point. I think she's been your strength. But my weak point, in a way, I can't say no to her. I know what she fa- what she did for us. And even these days, I would love for a second, if she comes out of the grave, to be proud of me. I am proud of her. I think your mother, just to say, must be incredibly proud of everything that you did in your life for your family. So Nadia passed away, and we said the prayers and the blessings to her. So then 16th of January 2009 is the day when the Israeli tanks shelled my house and killed three daughters one niece, and severely wounding others. For nothing they did. They were girls. On that day, I read that because these shellings, these bombings happened during that period in 2009, you used to choose for half of the family to sleep against one side of the wall and half to sleep against the other. Is that true? Of course, during that day, we have the unexpected Unsecured, you don't know what will happen. We always just to gather in the middle of the house. And what to happen? To say to them, three to sleep on this wall, three the other, and the three here, in case any shilling to come, because shilling, bumping, was from everywhere. No electricity, nothing there, the water. But at least I was happy I am with my children. And why did they sleep on different walls? Because in case any shilling to come from one side, not all of us to be killed in the time. And then sometimes it's a nightmare. Who will be killed? Bisan, Mayar, Muhammad. No, I don't want any of them to be killed. During that period, you were actually speaking live on air with Israeli TV. I haven't seen the video, but I heard that the video of the news of what happened to your daughters and your niece in the same home, you spoke about live on air. On that day, even two days before, 
14th of January, a tank approached my house. I said, what do they want? It, we were under complete control of the Israeli army, the area. So I spoke with my friend, the Israeli journalist, and that's the moral courage. When the humanity prevails, not the power to prevail. And he connected me with the radio and they succeeded while live on radio to move the tank. I was happy that we are safe and my children. Then 16th of January, quarter to 5 p.m. It was just four months. Exactly from the day Nadia died. It was, it was bland to be interviewed by the Israeli TV. So my friend, the Israeli journalist, when I called him after they shelled my house, at the beginning, I didn't believe it. But I started to ask, where is Bisan? Where is Mayar? Where is Aya? Where is Noor? I want to see them. I want to recognize them. Bisan wasn't just a daughter. She was the mother for her siblings. She was my friend. She was my advisor. I sent them to peace camps, to peace camps, to learn and to advocate for peace and the humanity. They were the best in their school, the teachers. They were fighting to have them in their, in their classes. Bisan was supposed to get her BA a few months later. They never succeeded in their schools, less than 97%. Mayar was number one in math in Palestine. She planned to be a medical doctor. Aya wanted to be a lawyer or a journalist, to be the voice, to advocate for the voiceless. Shada was studying in her high school to be one of the top ten in Palestine. So I sent him the message to call him, and he opened it. Then he called me and spread it live to the world to see these are the daughters of the Palestinian doctor who is practicing in Israel, who is helping and bringing life to this world. And the first message of support came from my son. When I started to look at him, he was 12 years old. While I was crying, he said to me, why are you crying? What the future is waiting for him? So he asked me, why are you crying? Why are you screaming? You must be happy. I said, what? To be happy for Bisan, Mayar, Aya, Nur? He said, I know that they are killed. And that's the Palestinian child that we need to learn from our children. He said to me, I know they are killed. But I know that they are happy there. They are with their mom. She asked for them. This Palestinian child and every child, do they deserve the freedom, justice and life and to learn from them and to ask political leaders in this world, what legacy do we want to inherit to these children? These are children that can lead the world and they can teach the world. So I am proud. I said, if my son believes in this, I have to move forward. 
And even during the tragedy, I lost faith in the humanity because the world is watching what is happening. For me, as a medical doctor, when I see someone is wounded, is suffering, I have to jump to help. But I directed my face only to God. So I didn't say any bad word to give me the strength, the patience, the resilience, the wisdom to manage the tragedy that I don't want anyone on earth to experience it. Just going back to that time and that, firstly, the terrible day when your wife died and then just four months later when your daughters and niece died. How did you cope with that unimaginable amount of grief that hopefully not many of us will ever have to walk through? I am a person of faith. Faith is very helpful. I can't return my daughter's back or my wife. And for me, they are not dead. They live with me. I see them. We are talking. I see them. They are talking to me. They are only far from me. They are traveling. I want to meet them with the big gift that we didn't give up. We didn't forget them and their holy noble souls and the blood wasn't waste. It made a difference in others' lives. But with what? Not with guns, not with bullets, not with violence. And that's what my daughter Bisan said at the age of 14 when I sent to be scam. Violence can't be dealt with violence. And hatred is not going to be dealt with hatred. There is another way. And the other way for me is wisdom, kindness, tolerance, resilience, and education. Some people to think that kindness is a weakness. It needs a lot of courage and the strength to be kind than being rude to others. So we need to promote these values and I kept them alive through the foundation I established, which is called Daughters, Daughters for Life, for education of girls and young women from the Middle East, without any discrimination, Jewish, Muslims, Christians, because I believe this world, which is endemic with the challenges, only women and just women can make this world and establish a stable, sustainable, healthy, peaceful, just world with women's education and to give women the means, the role and the opportunity to be sitting on the table to make the world a better one. Not for them, for all of us. What has made you come to that conclusion that it should be female leadership? I am in debt in my life to my mother, my wife, and my daughters. Without my mother, my wife, my daughter, I will never achieve what did I achieve. And I'm grateful to them. And that's what I believe. Women who give life, women who nurture life. I want to ask this world who is not in debt to women in their existence. Women, they sacrifice their life. They do 80% of the daily work in addition to their jobs. So it's time to try to give women the opportunity 
to provide them with the means to practice the right role. And I am sure if they can't make it a better one, they will never make it worse as it is now. So it's time for women to take the lead in our world. From some research I've read, in war zones, and there are a number across the world, many of the places you visited because you do move around the Middle East, you've been to Uganda, Yemen, Afghanistan, I have read that children's minds and perhaps even babies in the womb of their mothers can be affected by the stresses of a war zone and their minds altered. So you have another layer of a challenge upon trying to come to a humanitarian kind mindset when the actual mindsets of these unborn children are actually being affected. Yeah, that's why, see, health, well-being, freedom, independence, education, depend on who you are and where you are. And it starts as early as possible. Before we are born, while in utero, because the environment in which we live in, it impacts and it shapes our well-being, our attitudes, our behaviors. So that's why it urges us to act as early as possible and to do screening and to prepare the environment, the healthy environment for children, the in utero and even before, the environment of the mother. For the mother to be healthy, not to feel violence and abused or unhealthy. We are not dealing with the mother who is pregnant, we are dealing with two human souls. And some people who misunderstand it, they think the fetus doesn't, he is impacted and he hears, he is connected with the external world. So it's time to think of what is going on there. And the earlier we start, the more productive we will be. And we need to recommend it. And even in our actions, policy makers, decision makers, to start as early as possible and not to blame. Don't blame, take responsibility because the biggest challenge in our world is individual responsibility. Each of us is responsible. Say a word, talk to others, take action, look around, ask, learn, connect, do something. It's our world. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? If it is not now, then when? One can do everything. But each of us can do something. So I ask each of us, what can you do to make a difference in others' lives? Even a small thing, give a smile. Give a smile when you see a child, a touch. Help an old man when he or she are crossing. Or if a woman is carrying heavy objects, try to help her. Believe me, the reward for this action when you go home the happiness can't be valued with money. So it's time for action. It's our world. And that's the legacy we want to spread and to challenge and to take. And that's what I learned from my daughter, Shada, who was severely wounded. And when I saw her with her eye on her cheek, the globe was ruptured and two fingers were torn, just a skin tag 
and they have to decide if she was taken to a hospital in Gaza with the limited resources, they will take the eye out and to, to amputate the fingers. Believe me, at that moment, I said, I don't want to see her blind or malformed fingers. I would prefer and will accept if she was killed with her sisters, but not to see her blind. She was treated at the hospital where I worked at in Tel Aviv, and they rescued her eye and re-implanted the fingers. It was 16th of January. Her birthday was the 20th of January. So I said to her, Shada, we have to celebrate the birthday. And the message to send to your sisters that you are alive and we are alive and we are not defeated. We are not broken. And that's what she said. If I can't see with my right eye, I have my left. If I can't write with my right hand, bring me papers and pencils to start to practice with my left hand. I have to continue to achieve the dreams and hopes of my sisters. She spent four months at the hospital. She was discharged early May, and she has to do the high school exam in June. And it's a national exam for the whole country. I didn't expect much from Shada. She did the exam. And the day they announced the result on the radio, Shada succeeded as nothing happened to her. 96% in the high school. And that's the message. She created life from death and hope from pain with determination. And then she graduated from the School of Engineering at the University of Toronto. So that's what is the message we want others. If we face a challenge, not to be trapped in anger or hatred, but to trigger in you the energy and to transform it into positive energy, to move forward, to challenge the situation and to succeed. And your message to the perpetrator is a message of determination, of success and hope and life. If someone is trying to do you harm, don't be trapped there. Don't be distracted. Keep focused. And we kept moving forward with hope, not as a victims, but as a survival and leaders. Not hoping for others to face what did we face, but to advocate for freedom, justice, life, and hope for all. When you think of your daughters, your other daughters, three daughters and niece, and your sons that day in January, how do you not see what you walked into and how do you remember them as they were? 
I remember them. They live with me. They are part of me. Can't say. I miss them. I mean the image that you walked into on that day. How do you remember that? On that that? day when I saw them, because it was a Friday, and they woke up, they cleaned, and we were talking, and they started to talk with each other. On that day, I don't want anyone to see what I saw. Because I wanted to see them even the last time to see them, but I can't recognize them. I heard just their cries. Mayar was decapitated. Her part is spreading everywhere on the wall. Aya, I didn't. And maybe the most painful for me. I don't know if any human being would accept it. When we advocate for the human rights and the humanity, I wanted to see them before they were buried. Even in death, we can't say farewell to our loved ones. Because I was in Israel with my daughter, niece, and the brother at the hospital. I wanted them to be buried close to their mother. Even in death, we separate them. Not by choice, but by force. They were buried away from their mother. And that's the most painful. But the triggers in me. Why is this happening? I will never accept it. And what can I do to change it? Tell us about the foundation that you have created in their honor. The Daughters of Life Foundation. After my daughters were killed, a friend of mine, an Israeli friend... He said to me, the people will forget. What are you going to do? I said, if the people forget, I will never forget my daughters. And nothing is more important and blessed than having a charity in their memory. And Daughters for Life is the foundation for education of girls and young women. It's a registered Canadian charity, and I hope soon we will have it in Europe. And I appeal to universities from Luxembourg or schools to collaborate with Daughters for Life to support these young women who are talented, successful, with potential, but they don't have the opportunity or the resources coming from social economic hardship without any discrimination. And that's the blessing I want to send my daughters. And also because I believe women can make a difference. And it's time for women to take the lead, as I said. And also to prove to the people that in every bad thing there is something good. And this tragedy is used just for good. Life is what we make it. Always has been, always will be. So it's in our hands. Even from the darkness, there is a glimpse of light, a glimpse of hope. We want to enlarge it, to transform this tragedy, to be transformative, transform this tragedy into hopeful. And it's not about the biology. It's about the humanity. I see in these daughters that we support as my daughters. And I am blessed. My daughters who were killed... Bisan, Mayar, Aya, and my niece, Noor. We have among these 
young women who are educated in Canada, in the States, in UK, in many other countries, we have Mayar, we have Aya, and we have Noor. So I urge all, if you face any challenge, don't stay there. Be energized and move forward. You've also written a book I have in front of me entitled I Shall Not Hate, A Gaza Doctor's Journey on the Road to Peace and Human Dignity. Is this a picture of your daughters? Yes. It was taken two weeks before they were killed on the Gaza beach where they started writing their names in sand. And every now and then the wave to come to clean it. I didn't expect what happened as if they were going to be cleaned from life. But now their names will be written in the minds hearts, spirits of every human being and they will never be forgotten. How have you managed not to hate after everything that you've been through? I will never because with hate and we need to ask what is hate and this is even a shift in my work. Most of my work is now focused on the research and teaching about social contagion and hatred, where people, they think of hatred as an emotion. I say, no, hatred is not an emotion. Hatred is a communicable, contagious, destructive disease. And even these days, it's a global public health emergency threat with the incitement, with the fear with the violence, with the discrimination, with all of the challenges we are facing. It's the result of exposure. So hatred is a destructive disease. To whom? To the one who is impacted by it. So I don't want to be sick with this destructive disease because if I am impacted and sick with hatred, I become weak. I become wasted and consumed with it. So in order to move forward, I have to be strong. I know the scar is big and the wound is large. But I have to keep strong and to keep moving forward, not with this destructive disease. Hatred is a fire. Do you think you have to be able to forgive? I have to forgive myself from this disease. Do you have to forgive the perpetrator? You have to know who is the perpetrator. If you do. Of course, if he comes, you know, because we need to ask. I want to move forward with the perpetrator. First, I forgive myself from any hate. Well, you can move forward with a perpetrator or alongside. They're not quite the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I am moving my way. But also, at the same time, I want from the perpetrator to acknowledge what happened and to apologize for it. Do these young women deserve apology or not? I am asking you, do they deserve apology or not, to recognize their humanity or not, or to die in vain. No, they need to be acknowledged. So that's the message I want to ask the perpetrator to acknowledge and to learn the lessons from it. And what can we do to work together to prevent any more victims? But personally, I moved forward and I don't think of the perpetrator in negative ways. 
I focus on moving forward and what can I do to keep them alive and to bring them justice in a fair way. To round up the conversation is not an easy thought I'm going to kind of put to you, but it's one you've lived with all your life about the conflict and the ongoing want for peace from many people in the Middle East. It seems to me that there are a few different ways people have tried to think about it, either leadership within Israel and Palestine, people in leadership capacities working diplomatically alongside one another, external political help or interference, you might say, humanitarian awareness from NGOs or the like, or, like yourself, a showcase for grassroots people and organisations, Palestinians and Israelis, doing it from themselves from within, from the ground up. So from these four ideas that I've just kind of seen, what do you think has the best path to peace? The best path to peace, we tried all of these actions. And of course, it has some positive impact. But do we see in reality, as in medicine, I am treating a patient and the patient is not improving. Is the situation improving or deteriorating in Palestine and Israel? It's deteriorating. So we have to think why the situation and the patient is not improving in spite of the treatment we are trying to give with all of what do you mention. Maybe the diagnosis is wrong. Once the diagnosis is wrong, the treatment is wrong. So it's time to do re-evaluation, not to continue blindly, to acknowledge the facts. Palestinian people are a nation who live there. The Israelis, they live there. And what is needed for both of them to live equally, free people. And that's important. The Palestinians are under occupation. And the Israelis are occupied by their narratives and by their greed and what is going on. And so their fear. They might. Of course, yes, the, the trauma. So I want them to be free and the Palestinians to be free from the occupation and to equalize between them, where they can live side by side as two nations, as equal people in peace, not someone up and someone died, not as occupier and occupied, oppressor and oppressed, but as a free neighbors, because I believe the freedom, security, safety, independent and the future of the Israelis is linked and dependent on Palestinians safety, security, freedom, a future and independence. It's not dependent on anyone else. We are so close together. We as Palestinians and Israelis are conjoined twins. We have no other way to go. We have to find the way to live together as equal. And this is the guarantee for a stable, sustainable peace and life and to get rid of the challenges we are facing. We need to inspire and to spread hope. And I believe it's time to see Palestinian women and Israeli women sitting on the table, not to leave it to men for negotiations. Let the women with all of their big heart and their goodwill for their children, the Palestinian child and the Israeli child, to be as neighbors and friends and to study together and to live and to lead a life together. Dr. Isildun Abulaish, thank you so much for your time and taking the energy that I know it is taking you to talk about your family story.
Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been an honour to to be present with you. Thank to, you. To hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you.